jQuery was so successful that it did what I think Lori Voss termed transcending, where a number of the features that were key to why jQuery was important and was making a difference for everyone got adopted by the language. They got moved up into the language. So in some sense, we're all using jQuery today. We can Mm. use a lot of the functionality that you can do in vanilla JavaScript today because jQuery showed that that was a more effective way to interact with the DOM. Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode of JS Party is brought to you by Rollbar. Deploy with confidence more often, spend less time worrying, and more time on improving your code. You can feel safe knowing every error is reported in real time with Rollbar. Check them out at rollbar.com. Themes on go. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. We have a good one for you today. First up, we take a listener request and have an honest conversation about jQuery. Then it's time for something new. Our friends at Hot New Tech review Tone.js for us. After that, we share our pro tips to finish off the show. Let's do this. Hey, it's party time, y'all. Oh yes, you know the sounds of those BMC beats means it's our favorite time of the week. It's JS Party Time. I'm Jared, I'm your internet friend, and I'm joined by three of my friends. K-Ball is here. What's up, K-Ball? Hey. These days, an internet friend. Previously, we actually saw each other every now and then. Yes, in the before times, as Nick likes to call it. Nick is here. What's up, Nick? Ahoy, hoy. Ahoy, hoy. And Amel joins us once again. What's up, Amel? Hi, everybody. I may or may not be wearing... Our purple robe. <laughs> Fact check true. I can confirm that she may or may not be wearing a purple robe. Purple robe. Mm. Yeah. Purple robe. We may or may not serenade you later. Okay. No, let's right. get into the show. <laughs> Princess. Today we are talking about some hot new tech and some older tech. We had a call in after our front end feud episode, listener Tarpon Jargon wrote into our request form. By the way, changelog.com slash request. Select JS Party in the dropdown. Let us know if you want us to talk about a specific topic, if you want us to have a specific guest on, if you like certain hosts and panelists better than others. Be nice, be kind, but let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Tarpon Jogan wrote in about jQuery, and they said they want to have an honest conversation about jQuery. I'll read here a little bit. They said mostly it's because it's still widely used, yet it's considered nearly shameful by JS devs. There's a big disconnect there. Emma had to asterisk to her answer on the last game show, adding, I don't use jQuery. In fact, we pulled that clip. I have it right here. Name a JavaScript library that you use often. We had React, which was the number one answer, 29 points. And we had jQuery, which was the number four answer with six points. So you both did very well there. I don't use jQuery, but it's the only thing I remembered. That's what he's referring to there. And they said ostensibly so people wouldn't think she used it. That's a very common theme. Even though I use the quote-unquote modern libraries and tooling, I love jQuery. I still find it very useful and get sad when I hear it get trashed. It has made and still makes the web a better, richer, and more interactive place. Even though you can do most things with vanilla JS, it's way more intuitive and way less code to write. Anyway, I'd love to hear you guys address the jQuery elephant in the room or on the web. Love the podcast. So there it is. Thanks, Tarpon Jargon, for writing in and sharing your thoughts. And we're now going to share our thoughts. First of all, Emma's not here to speak to why she said that, but I think there definitely is this somewhat like, I don't use jQuery sensation going around because the truth is a lot of us don't use jQuery anymore. And new technologies have come about and have taken the the web by storm. Uh, But I will say that I love jQuery. I'm not ashamed to say that I love jQuery. In fact, changelog.com is still a jQuery-esque web application. What does that mean? Insofar as we use imperative callback-based selectors to manipulate the DOM at times that we find necessary. 
It does not use a component library. It does not use React. It does not use anything else. It doesn't actually use jQuery. It's using a thing called Umbrella.js, which is kind of a minimal jQuery, which is just less kilobytes. But I love it so much, I wrote an ode to jQuery. And I thought maybe I'd read that ode to you guys right now. Does that sound fun? That sounds amazing, Jared. Can't wait. jQuery, jQuery. Try not to laugh in the middle. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let me start over because I'm already laughing. (laughs) Thy thy jQuery, thy finest of summer dreams in the midnight. Don't steal (laughs) my thunder here, Amel. It sounds a lot like what I wrote. (laughs) No, this sounds like like drunken Shakespeare is what I just said. Here we go. Drunken Shakespeare version. jQuery, jQuery, your API was sweet like honey. We aliased you to dollar sign because you made us so much money. You were easy to grok with docs and blogs plenty. You made sure we waited till the DOM was ready. You were well adorned with animations and widgets galore and so, so many plugins for us devs to adore. You taught many of us to map, filter, and extend. Those FP concepts keep paying dividends. The web was hostile, but you made it better so we could build things fast and collect that cheddar. It may be time to call jQuery.fadeout, but you changed the world and there is no doubt. So thank you, jQuery, for the amazing ride. Dollar sign left paren document right paren dot hide. <laughs> the end. Well played, sir. What do you guys think about jQuery? Oh, I wrote a poem too. Oh, Except- let's hear it. <laughs> let's, let's hear it. <laughs> Wait, this this is this is like a jQuery off. You, re- you I realize know, that, right? right? <laughs> I'm gonna come up with like a, a rap battle to like you know throw my hat in this like jQuery off. You know, absolutely. Like, I mean, I don't know how much time Jared put into this, but like he told us this, and so I whipped it up on the the side as we on were the fly. He's, he's already out. making his excuses why mine's gonna be better. Go ahead, K Paul. Much shorter. Oh, jQuery, huzzah, hooray! Let's treat everything like an array. Seriously, jQuery, you're really the bomb. There's nothing better for messing with the DOM. Ooh, yeah, short and sweet, K-Ball. You're gonna I get, dig you're it. You're going to get snaps. Snaps for K-Ball. Nick, what <laughs> did you write on, for jQuery? I, yeah, I, I couldn't let Jared and K-Ball just get away with this. So uh, after I heard that Jared and then K-Ball wrote something, I will prefix that I wrote it after that. So mine's much shorter. <laughs> <laughs> but mine is in haiku form, so it has to be short. Ooh. So here it is. <clears throat> jQuery, still there? You made me love this language. Now I love TypeScript. Sounds <laughs> 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 like that might be more of a TypeScript poem than a jQuery poem, but uh, well played, well played. Yeah, Amel, don't look up. at me. <laughs> My love is going to come in the pros. form of soliloquies. Yes, soliloquies over, over the next segment. All right, well, let's hear, ML. What do you think of about jQuery. What do you think about what Tarpon Jargon wrote about? Is there JS? Is there like dev shame? Is there uh, that, you know, icky feeling like, oh, I don't use it anymore because it's not cool? Or is that overblown? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. First of all, Tarpon Jargon, like coolest name ever. And but second of all, really, I want to plus a million on what you've shared as, as kind of your observation in the community where we're kind of, we've shamed people for not using tooling that maybe requires uh, more complexity or requires a world-class engineering team to maintain and stay on top of, right? You know, so ultimately, like, I have no problem saying this, but like, there's a a very serious disconnect in our community when it comes to like, reality, and like, fad, and like, bubble, you know, in the sense that like, there is the reality of the web, and its vastness, and you know, how most people are actually de- develop, not even developing for the web, authoring web content, right? Because quite frankly, not every company or team is like a world-class modern JavaScript on the leading leading edge of, you know, the latest versions of NPM dependencies, right? Like there is a certain amount of not, a, not only privilege, but knowledge and like just business expense that you need to be able to even have a team that can keep on top of that stuff, right? But a, a lot of people, a good chunk of the web still uses things like not even modern Kendo UI, but like old school Kendo UI, jQuery widgets, right? There's a lot of, you know, drag and drop, plug and play, like the the world of like people trying to build apps without having to build apps is like really morphed in a way that's really, I think, um, 
actually overshadowed modern web development if you look at the scale of adoption. Um, and you look at things like uh, WordPress, you know, that, and, and how much of the web it actually, you know, powers, you know, the number of websites on React compared to like the number of websites on jQuery, you know, and compared to the scale of the web, like, you know, the modern web dev is definitely this tip of the sphere. And it's a very important thing. We should keep innovating. But like, you know, when we have, like when we're disrespectful to tools that are old or uh, tools that help pave the way for where we are today, like that's just like really disrespecting your elders, right? So that's kind of like to kind of summarize my sentiment on this topic. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, I know for a fact, like Nick, yourself and K-Ball and I all have like respect for, you know, uh, the fact that on the web, we're standing on the shoulders of giants, right? Um, and like, I know, like, there's going to be a lot of love for jQuery here today. So Absolutely. thank you for your com Thank you for your comment. And like, I hope we are able to kind of echo your sentiment today. So thank you for sharing. Cable, anything to add? Yeah, I have a couple things. So I think there's two dimensions to look at here. So the first is uh, that jQuery was so successful that it did what I think Lori Voss termed it transcending, uh, where a number of the features that were key to why jQuery was important and was making a difference for everyone got adopted by the language. They got moved up into the language. So in some sense, we're all using jQuery today. We can mm. use a lot of the functionality that you can do in vanilla JavaScript today because jQuery showed that that was a more effective way to interact with the DOM. Secondly, I think we do have a huge challenge in our community of thinking about tools as the end rather than outcomes as the end and what we're trying to get to. And so folks will say, hey, I want to work in React or I want to work in Vue or I want to work in Ember or what have you and be thinking about the tool as the goal, doing something in there where those are tools with very specific problem domains that they work really well in, but not everyone has those problem domains. And I think there's quite a few problem domains right now where using React or Vue, you're imposing a lot of additional costs on yourself relative to what you need. And you might actually be better off doing something with either vanilla JavaScript or jQuery or something simple like that. Mm -hmm. jQuery thrives in some of those simpler, mostly server-driven situations where you're not trying to do lots of crazy stuff on the front end. You're trying to have progressively enhanced website. Where it starts to fall down a little bit is when you have lots of different interactive pieces interacting is harder. It doesn't give you as much implicit structure out of the box. Right. And so if you're trying to build more of your application logic on the front end, you may want to put some more structure in place. Back in the day, I remember that structure would be added by something like Backbone, which worked Backbone. on top of jQuery. But right. these days, that's built into a framework like Vue or React or Angular, largely. Though I imagine there's still folks out there using Backbone and Backbone Marionette as well. Yeah, definitely the right tool for the right job. Yeah, I kind of share the same sentiment as UK Ball with, like, it, it seems like there's kind of a bifurcation of, like, web app versus website or or more, like, like a, a very JavaScript-driven app is something that, today we would reach for one of the more modern frameworks because it it makes it so much easier. Whereas, I mean, I haven't used jQuery in years, but I assume that it's not as easy to build, you know, robust components using jQuery and to manage that and to package it in a, in a way. But if you were like, I would not want the, the craziness of React review in just like my blog, for example, unless you're getting really crazy and, and doing that server side with like Next.js or something, but as something that's actually running in the, the browser on your users' machines, jQuery was kind of a somewhat lightweight way to really pave over a lot of the problems that we had with the early days of JavaScript, specifically like with things that just didn't make sense between browsers. There weren't the same APIs or there were a lot of rough edges. It smoothed those out and made it really easy. And kind of tying back to Jared's poem a little bit, it really did introduce us to some really cool like functional programming paradigms and other paradigms that helped us grow as a community, as a, as fans of this language into more mature developers and turning this into a real language where we obviously make, you know, a lot of apps with it. We make a lot of money with it and it powers the web and it's, as Lori said, it transcended. So it's really adopted those. But I was trying to think of things that 
Like I really would reach to jQuery for back in the day. And that was things like Ajax. It was just so much a better, so, mm-hmm. such a better API than XML HTTP request. $on or the like the jQuery object.on for event listeners rather than like, where can I use on click versus add event listener and what events, like what is being passed to those event listeners, things like that. And then obviously getting rid of document.get element by ID or trying to traverse the DOM in some weird way and just using CSS selectors. Just, it was so nice. Yeah, I agree that the CSS selector based interaction was really what made jQuery take off because it was so easy to learn, especially alongside CSS selectors. You're already learning Mm -hmm. how to select elements via CSS selectors in order to style them with your CSS. And you could learn right alongside that how to grab those elements and manipulate them in JavaScript by using that exact same syntax right inside of a string. That was an amazing, I think that was probably what did it. Now there's always a bunch of you know conspiring events that make something transcend. But jQuery really became, I mean, React is in, in Mindshare is like getting to that place, but it's not where jQuery was. jQuery was so pervasive that there were people that were jQuery developers. And I know there's people that are like, I'm a React developer. And I, I advise against doing that. Please don't do that. If you need to market your skills like I know React, fine. But don't define yourself as a React developer. People who were defining themselves in mass quantities as a jQuery developer, they didn't know that it was JavaScript. They thought it was jQuery. That's how pervasive and ubiquitous it was. Now, by the way, those people who were jQuery developers, how transferable are their skills into today's economy? Not very transferable, right? If they... Uh, deem themselves a JavaScript developer, or hey, drop the prefix altogether, be a software developer. Now you can play in any pool, right? But that selector engine was so game changing, it really made jQuery take off. Mm-hmm. The combination of the selector engine and the kind of functional mindset for manipulating sets of elements, right? Like this idea of, hey, I'm going to use a selector to get a set of DOM elements. They're just going to be arrays and I can filter them and I can map them and I can manipulate them. Like, I remember the first time I was introduced to jQuery. It was in 2007. I had been struggling with stuff on the front end and we had just hired somebody who had more front end expertise and he knew jQuery. And he was Mm. showing me this and my mind was just blown with, oh my God, this is like, you have taken my next three weeks and compacted them to two days, right? Like that type of improvement. Yeah, I mean, but you know what, Cable, you're talking about improvement to your workflow. And I think it might be worth it to kind of step things back for our listeners and like talk about why was jQuery invented? Like, right, can we summarize like what problem it was solving? Because Nick touched upon it about interop issues with browsers, right? You know, we had the DOM wars going on at the time. We had like all these browsers that weren't talking to each other or following web standards. And like we had IE that was like innovating and, you know, in an actually very interesting way, like people think it was bad and it definitely in hindsight was bad, but what it did for the web was really pushed it forward. And it's interesting, Chrome's kind of doing that now, but like there were all these like proprietary APIs, right? In, in IE. And that's kind of why IE was, is actually even still alive because there's so many large enterprise companies that have internal tooling and software that is built, like that's relying on these proprietary APIs that are not web standards. So that's why web standards are important and we should stick with them, yeah. right? And it's interesting, Chrome's actually doing that now with Fugu, right? So if we take a little segue into modern, uber modern web dev, you know, Chrome has kind of decided to experiment with a bunch of APIs and we'll, we'll link them in the show notes. It's all behind an experimental flag. This whole project is called Project Fugu. And the Project Fugu's goal is to take Chrome and basically supercharge it so that it's able to compete with native apps on mobile devices. So we're giving you file access from a browser. We're basically taking away the browser sandbox, you know, and we're giving you file access and better insight into kind of device management uh, APIs all from a browser. So essentially with the end goal being that like, there should be no reason why a progressive web app can't really be one-to-one with a native web app on many of the key, key features. And so Chrome has taken this really bold, kind of like thrown their spear pretty far, like with the goal of hopefully trying to save the web, actually, because they think like the web hasn't been innovating hard enough or fast enough to compete with mobile. 
clients. And when I say the web, I really am talking about web clients to be specific, right? Because obviously mobile clients are still using the web. Right. Web technologies. Exactly. And so, you know, so it's interesting to see how this is history maybe repeating itself in an interesting way, you know, but IE, you know, and I've had this conversation with Alex Russell, whose Twitter account we will link in the show notes because he's like a very interesting person to follow when, if you're into this stuff. But, you know, I, I, Alex is actually the TL. He's a technical lead for FUBU project on at Chrome. And I like keep asking, I like remember asking him like, Alex, like, I don't get it though. Like you're basically becoming IE again now. And he's like, well, think about it. Is that a bad thing? He's like, IE was so good at what they did. Like they're still relevant today, right? They have the market share. Yeah. And like, I can't, I don't, I can't disagree with that, you know? Um, and so it's interesting, like Chrome, all the other browsers seem to be competing with Chrome. Or becoming Chrome. Yeah, or becoming Chrome. Right. One by one, right? Scary times. Monoweb. Yeah. Chrome is like competing with Android. And that's like a very serious competition. And I seriously want Chrome to win that one. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, just really interesting time for the web, but bringing it back to like jQuery, right? jQuery like saved the web in so many ways uh, in the sense that like it bought browsers time to like get interoperable and get functional. And like jQuery was, you know, able to kind of deprecate itself in the sense that like it solved the core problems it was meant to solve. But then like, and with it, we got a bunch of like really great patterns, APIs, we have jQuery Lite, which is a good option for like trying to build your blog and having having a bunch of nice utils. And then we have like echoes of influence, right? From like Mocha to Request to Lodash to like just echoes and echoes of ec and echoes of jQuery, like all throughout like you know like libraries that have, have been invented after it, mm -hmm. you know. And really, like as web developers, we have to understand like people solve tools when you're building a tool. It should be built to solve one thing. Once that problem is solved, it's okay to deprecate the tool. It's okay to say this tool is done, right? Like we, we shouldn't poo-poo on it, you know, um, and say like, oh, this is crap. They should add new features. Like, no, like solve another tool, create another tool to solve those problems, right? But like, let's keep the scope of this problem like defined. And so, you know, um, I just feel like jQuery is very misunderstood by newer developers because they're just really missing a lot of the historical context around yeah. like why mm -hmm. it was created and, and how, how important it, it, it is and was to, to the web success at the time. So, And the API was just brilliant. If we look at specifically what Cable said earlier about everything is a collection, that, we talked about echoes, like I write my code that way now because I realized that as a developer, what you would like to do to, to simplify your code is to reduce the number of cases. And one of the most common bifurcations of cases is I have one thing, there's your case one, and I have more than one thing, and there's my case two. And so tons of code out there is just like, hey, is it one or is it many? All over the place. And these are just unnecessary conditionals in your code. And I learned it from jQuery because the only thing that makes one different than many is there's just one. But if you put it in an array, it's no longer a separate case. Like, if it returns one, it's still a collection of one. And if it returns seven, it's a collection of seven. That's such a small API decision versus just merely returning the bare object if it's one. Uh, return an array. And if there's zero, you return an empty array. It's just one big thing. It's just a list. And that list could have zero, one, or many in it. And that reduces so much checking in your code that it's just the, the way to do it. And so now I used to have all sorts of places in my code where I'd have the one case and then I have the many case. And now I just have a collection because I learned it from jQuery. It also kind of smoothed over a lot of APIs like that in, in that case. But like, you know, thinking back to how you might, even today, how you would create a DOM element with just vanilla JavaScript. If I wanted to create a div, you know, element div, And then if I want to add a class to it, that's another line, another call. If I want to add properties to it, that's another thing. And jQuery was like one line or um, another thing that it introduced that is still kind of floating around today is this idea, or maybe it didn't introduce it, but it did to me is like this chained API of like, yeah, yeah chains, this so element, awesome. find this element now do something with it. Oh, now add an event listener to it. Now do another thing and just keep returning that instance. So you keep chaining on calls to it. And I think um, it's been a while since I've used it, but like 
that pattern is so powerful. I also learned it from jQuery and have used it in so many places to make yeah. much more intuitive APIs. Absolutely. Explain K-Ball exactly how you implement that pattern. Like, what's what do you do with your code? Yeah, I mean, the key aspect there is that every function call returns the object itself so that you can, you, know, you basically have a core concept. And in this case, it's a jQuery collection. And anything that you do to manipulate it returns the object itself. So you can just keep calling additional things. You can call it .filter, .map, .whatever. Now, one thing I might extend on that that uh, is a challenge with jQuery right now is jQuery is uh, imperative and proactive in it. So you do this, and each thing you, that you do, it actually does a, the change and then returns it. Mm -hmm. In many situations, you actually want it to be lazy. So you want it to kind of apply or sort of build up um, use that to build up a set of manipulations, but then you deliberately decide when to execute it rather than having it go step by step. And you can do fun optimizations with that and things like this is a model that I've seen used uh, like ARL in the Ruby world uses this for building up uh, SQL queries and things like that mm -hmm. where you have a builder. But yeah, this core concept of I have an object that has a bunch of ways to manipulate it and each one of those function calls to manipulate it returns another version of that object so that I can keep just chaining on more calls to it is such a, a powerful mental model. Mm -hmm. And jQuery was kind of object-oriented too in that way. Like every time you called the dollar uh, function and, and passed it something, it was actually returning you a new instance of this jQuery core object. But it hid all of that from you too. And that was another cool trick that I learned was how you could detect if something was called with new and then call new for, for it and then mm. continue on. So uh, kind of coalescing that, just like you were saying, Jared, with one or many is it a new instance or did i just call the method directly you can just make it one thing and, and make that simple yeah tons of cool yeah. stuff so you know it started with john resig but as it became pervasive so many brilliant minds worked on that project and mm -hmm. probably some brilliant minds continue to maintain it to this day like everybody really rallied around jquery for years and so you could know oh, yeah. that like it was going to do the best practice. It was going to have the thing the right way that you didn't have to worry about it. And it was going to smooth over the incompatible APIs between browsers so that you could just get about your business. And it was really powerful that way too. Yeah, I got to work with some of those brilliant minds if I can give them a shout out. Go for it. Well, yeah, when I joined Boku, uh, Boku is a company that actually kind of was many ways born out of, you know, <laughs> the Dom Wars and folks who were working on jQuery who just started like to work, they started a company together kind of, you know, many years ago, it's over a decade ago. And, you know, folks like Corey Frang, Rick Waldron, uh, Boaz Sender, Jory uh, Burson on the community side, Mike uh, Panisi, I, I believe was involved also. And just a bunch. I'm like, I'm like forgetting people. Isaac, like Corey Frang, I got to work with him. He was a, t um, a tech lead on a project that I was wor working on very early when I joined the company. And like, I don't think I've ever worked with somebody that who's so masterful at API design, you know, and I'm like, oh, I get it. I see why jQuery is the way it is. You know, <laughs> you, you helped work on things like deferred and like, you know, all these wonderful APIs that have taught me and all these other wonderful engineers, like how to write good code. Um, and so it just it was just like a pleasure working under them. And, you know, would maybe we can have them on the show one day and like pick their brain because they have also the most number of Stack Overflow points I've ever seen. Like their Stack Overflow credit is just like they're like, hey, in case you ever want Stack Overflow credit, let, let me let me know. I'll, I'll toss a few your way. You know, <laughs> like that's how many <laughs> like they have um, and their, their pronouns are they them. Uh, so um, the other thing about um, like I'd say these the brilliance of, of jQuery is just how much complexity it handled, like especially with things like the deferred API, uh, which really laid the groundwork for having promise patterns in the client. And deferred actually wasn't even an A plus promise, like the API itself didn't adhere to that. That caused me so much confusion. Yeah. And the reason why it couldn't is also because it was, it was doing so much interop work. It had yeah. to do so much hackiness in order to get promises to work uniformly across the board in all these browsers. And to kind of just for folks that are like, I don't understand, what is this interop problem? Well, let me just, again, another history lesson, right? Like, I'll keep this one short. Don't worry, kids. So, <laughs> so like back in the day when you were building a web app or a website, to be more specific at the time, you know, someone would come to your website and, and the first thing that you would ask them on the server was like, who are you? 
And who are you is not like, who are you user? It's like, who are you browser? Are you Netscape? Are you IE? Like, what are you? And based on what the response is, based on the browser type, you would send them different code. That's how bad it was. Mm -hmm. And it was a nightmare to maintain. You know, jQuery just like made that problem like non-existent, essentially. Like, and so, you know, we really have a lot to thank to jQuery. And I wish we could have gotten the numbers before the show. Maybe we'll publish it afterwards. But most of the web is still running on jQuery for the record. Totally. And the web is massive. So, you know, um, they also set the standards for documentation, teaching, conferences, community, like really like they paved so many things like jQuery documentation is still, I think, to me, like golden standard for docs, like, like hands down, you know, um, so and, and, and given the number of people that have to use it, it makes sense. Uh, it's also translated in different languages, you know, like it's, it, was, it was written to support different versions, you know, just just wonderful docs. Really. Mm -hmm. A rich history, and it definitely changed the world, as I said in my amazing poem. And uh, it continues, like you said, to be deployed in massive quantities to this day. I think the number is around 83%. That was last year, and that could be off. So we will look it up and get it in the show notes. I didn't have a chance to grab that. But like an unbelievable amount of websites still have the jQuery object defined in their JavaScript. No shame in using a jQuery today, as K-Ball said, is the right tool for the for specific jobs, right? Like, so you got to pick the right tool for the job that you have. And you shouldn't blanket pick any technology when you set out to solve some sort of problem because you're not doing your job at that point. You're just cargo culting what you think should happen. You should analyze and decide. And there are problems for which jQuery is still a great solution. And the best of those are the ones that are already existing in production, right? They're out there, they're solving real-world use cases, and they aren't broken. Now, if they're broken and you can't move faster, because you got heaps and heaps and heaps of poorly factored jQuery code, you might have to do something about that. But if they're out there providing value, and all you're doing is augmenting and extending them, if you swap that out for something else because jQuery is lame now, you're not a very thoughtful person. You need to think more and rethink that decision. So uh, definitely yeah. no shame in the JS game if you're still using no jQuery shame at today. All. No, and Jared, one last fact before we end this segment. Angular, another library that changed the web, and was pivotal in like the web's arc, you know, mm -hmm. for like how we got to where we are. Angular, for the several iterations of Angular, like they launched it with jQuery Lite under the hood. Like, like and the Angular API was very jQuery-esque, you know? And they were able to do what they did and, and the speed that they were able to do it and as well as they were able to do it because of jQuery. Like jQuery was a huge component of like Angular uh, 1X, so just something else to keep in mind. You know, we really like our, our giants are standing on the shoulders of giants are standing on the shoulders of giants, you know, and we're way beyond the moon at this point. It's really just exciting to see how far we've come. And I'm excited to see where we go. What up, friends? You might not be aware, but we've been partnering with Linode since 2016. That's a long time ago. Way back when we first launched our open source platform that you now see at changelaw.com, Linode was there to help us, and we are so grateful. Fast forward several years now, and Linode is still in our corner, behind the scenes helping us to ensure we're running on the very best cloud infrastructure out there. We trust Linode. They keep it fast, and they keep it simple. Get $100 in free credit at linode.com slash changelog. Again, $100 in free credit at linode.com slash changelog. Hey, it's Judith and Rachali from Hot New Tech. Welcome to the party, ladies. Hello. Thank you for having us. Yes. Very excited. So this is a cool collab between JS Party and Hot New Tech. Tell the folks what Hot New Tech is. So it's hard to say what we are, but I can tell you what we do, which is every two weeks we review an emerging tech. As engineers, there's a lot of pressure to stay up to date, and it's more fun to do it together. 
and we try to take the pain out of it and um, we learn new things and then we tell you the TLDR of if it's, if it's worth learning for you and the trip ups we had and uh, some sociological commentary just for fun. There you go. Super cool show. I'm a big fan. And we thought we would integrate some of your TLDRs into JS Party from time to time. So here we are. We're going to talk about Tone JS. We're going to roll your TLDR section of your show into this show. But for Charlie, what is Tone JS? So that people know once you TLDR it, what the heck you're talking about. <laughs> so Tone.js is a web audio framework for uh, basically doing audio on the internet. And uh, it's built on top of web, uh, web audio API. So that's what it is okay. in short. Nice. And so you all t- tested it out. Anything that happened along the way or anything that people need to know before they go into what you thought about Tone.js and whether or not they should use it? Yeah, so basically I learned to, uh, JavaScript with Tone.js. That was my introduction to JavaScript. So okay. um, it's a very interesting way to start learning how to code uh, on the front end. And uh, the other interesting part is that back in the day, the internet had a lot of sounds, weird sounds. We remember the Windows 90s sounds and, and oh, yeah. all of these other sounds. And suddenly they all went away. And that was because browsers needed you to opt in for the sound to be played. Um, you couldn't just like start playing a random sound on the internet uh, on any website. So that broke a lot of websites apparently in 2018. But now we can go back into the world of playing weird music online right awesome yeah you need to opt in to the audio so that's one thing that we learned um we tried to make it on the hover states but you couldn't just hover on it that's i guess hovering is not considered opting in so you have Mm. to actually click a button that enables the sounds um so that was an interesting experience and then we sort of went on the deep dive i was like when did you have to start opting in because you didn't used to have to opt in right so it's a whole internet history lesson as well it's unfortunate for the creator because it kind of makes your creation less cool because it can't just like do a thing. But it's good for a user because you don't want to just go to a web page and all of a sudden it starts making noises at you without you knowing about it. So it's a trade-off as most things are. Well, really cool. Uh, here's the TLDR. Let's get right into it, shall we? <laughs> We figure out emerging technologies so you don't have to. Hosted by Judith and Rashuri. Welcome. Let the games begin. Ease. Was it easy to use? I wouldn't give it a seven. I think it's a complicated one, and I think it reflects the sort of two directions of the library. I don't think it's easy to create music, period. Um, so this is not a magical wand. I think what? we should say that it's not easy to create good music. You can make bad music very easily. Interesting. I'm thinking, I'm trying to decide if that's true or not. I mean, I mean in my head, even creating bad music sounds hard because there's like a level of vulnerability there. So I would say even bad music is maybe even harder because you're more embarrassed. Um, <laughs> fine. Okay. I'm going back to the seven because it wasn't, it was doable mm-hmm. and there was significant enough examples and documentation. So it's definitely doable, but it's not like AB. It's not like writing one to three on a paper. It's not a 10. I would give it a seven. So for ease, I would give it a seven or an eight, seven. I'll give it a seven too. You know why? Because I have a biased opinion with this because I started this in 2017. So I have seen the docs before. I've done projects with it and I learned JavaScript with Tone. So I can't really give it like a non-biased rating. And my bias rating is 7 on 10. Docs. For documentation, I would give it an 8 on 10. Again, this is a biased opinion. I was leaning more towards a 7 on 10, but I do think, because I, I like things to be spoon-fed to me, and I want to be able to copy and paste everything. So that's that's my definition of a 10. Um, <laughs> so I can't, I, the copy and paste didn't work so well. There were some like, little glitches with the, the JavaScript and like, you know, attaching yourself to you know, DOM objects. However, the exam, I would say the juice is on the, the GitHub because there's a million examples that you can, that work. I think it's underrated when a demo actually works. I'm, how many times have you looked up a library and you're like totally sold and then you click on the demo page and the demo's not broken and you're like, of course I'm not going to use this library. The demo's broken. 
So I have to say that the fact that all the demos in the Tone.js library work, that's almost a 10 right there. And then you can look into the code and that code you can copy and paste for the most part. So, you know, I'm going to meet you on the eight because there are so many working demos that are awesome. But I'll meet you on the eight. Fun. I'm going to give it a nine on 10 because when I hovered on that button and it laughed, I laughed. <laughs> it's so simple, but I just, it made me laugh. So I, that's a nine for me. That moment was really to watch you hover <laughs> and laugh to the laugh was just so satisfying as just a viewer. I think the delight of the internet has really gone down the drain and it kind of reminds me of the 90s or like when the internet was just strange and delightful. Yeah. And maybe that's just part of, maybe back when audio was allowed and unrestricted, the internet was a better place. I don't know. When's the last time you laughed on a hover seat? Yeah, exactly. When was the last time you laughed on a hover state is the question we should all be asking ourselves in 2020. (laughs) Heat. Oh my God. So heat, I think that one might initially give it a low rating because Mm -hmm. of the low market value of audio on the web. However, my argument would be that because data, I would say data is the hottest thing on the market right now. Everything's about data, data visualization, data maximization, data privacy, data, 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 data. It's all about data. But I think that data sonification has a lot of potential. Um, and there you have it. You can do that with this library. I agree with all of the parts that you said. What is concerning to me is that when I graduated, I don't JavaScript through Tone and P5. And when you basically apply to a job, if you know React, they are like, yes, you're hired. And then if you go like, do you, what do you, what JavaScript, what stuff do you know? And I went like, I know Tone. And they were like, what the fuck is Tone? So it wasn't very hot when I was job hunting, but I had so much fun while learning it. So, you know, you, you win some, you lose some. And uh, I wouldn't learn, I wouldn't want to learn JavaScript with React. That just sounds very boring. Seven on 10. Like, I can't give it more than seven because, like, if you had to, if there's a student who's like learning how to code right now, listening to this and goes, like, Oh, I'm going to try tone and add it to my resume, I don't know how many companies are going to be like, Oh, wow, what a great library to learn. Like, you know, that's not what companies are looking for unless it's like a specific audio company which which is also amazing but if you're into open source stuff then yeah right yeah use this library it's fun it's hot to a certain degree and uh it's fun yeah i definitely i would agree with you that it shouldn't be the only javascript library on your your resume yeah but i think it's a hot tool to have in your box oh for sure and if you're a musician it's like way too hot it's like what it would if a musician walked up to me and was like, I can code music, I'd be like, <laughs> This is this is good. Clap, clap, clap. Yeah. So can can we can I bump you up? We have to obviously have an average. So you say seven, I say eight. I prefer round numbers. Okay. Can I sell you on the eight? Fine, eight it is. <laughs> Hours it took. To get that C sharp going, you're looking at 15 minutes. To for us to get our hover states working before we sort of knew about the audio opt-in, I would say like an hour. Just to, you know, also we had a cores error with local audio. We had to spin up a server. So there's that little there's a little couple of small challenges which are always gonna happen with a new thing. So, anyways, I would say an hour to like get something custom working. And then to actually create something with a, a custom song, I don't know how long, since you, I've never done that, how long do you think it would take to make like a, a real song? Uh, are we musicians or not? How long did it take you to get your first real project going with Tone? A day. A day, wow. But okay. I, I, like, I didn't know anything. Like I didn't know what trigger attack release was. I right, didn't... but that's how it is. That's how whoever's going to come into this isn't going to know anything. Are you yeah. saying if you're an audio engineer coming into it? Yeah, if you know a lot of these concepts, you would know like, oh, I think if I played a, a like a F or what is it, music theory? Like if you knew what notes to play afterward. Like I just made noise. 
at the end. Of okay. The day. An hour, how long it took for us to get something that we wanted working was one hour. Thanks for Technical details and more at hotelnew.tech. Yeah. Okay, we're done. Bye-bye, cutie. What's up, party people? I want to introduce AWS Amplify as a new sponsor here at JS Party. Amplify is a suite of tools and services that enable developers to build full-stack, serverless, and cloud-based web and mobile apps using their framework and tech of choice. Amplify is built to make front-enders successful because you can use your existing skill set to build full-stack apps that in the past would require deep knowledge around back-end, DevOps, and scalable infrastructure. Amplify simplifies all of that. Amplify gives you easy access to hosting, authentication, managed GraphQL, serverless functions, APIs, machine learning, chatbots, and storage for files like images, videos, and PDFs. Check the link in the show notes for details or head to awsamplify.info slash dsparty. Again, awsamplify.info slash dsparty. know what time it is it's pro tip time pro tip time (laughs) thanks nick for that amazing jingle oh my goodness i hadn't heard that well let's let nick go last based on that jingle k-ball you're up pro tips what you got pro tips okay so mine is is actually related to a change i did recently so for about the last month i've changed my work schedule so i now work from 5 30 a.m till 2 p.m uh, my local time, which has a variety of reasons behind it, childcare and other things, and also my body's natural inclination starts being a morning person. But one of the things that it has done that I want to highlight as a pro tip is it has kind of de facto separated my day into a focus period at the beginning of every day, and then a like relationships and meeting period towards the end or set latter half of my day. So no matter what happens, there's almost nobody on my team who's awake when I'm first getting up. And the few people who are, like we have a couple of folks in the UK and a couple of folks on the East Coast, like there's not much going on there. So I always get a chunk of time in the morning to focus, which is amazing. I've been so incredibly productive with that time this last few weeks, and it just, it's amazing. Um, and then the other thing that having that dedicated focus time has done is it's made me feel much more free to schedule just relationship-based one-on-ones. Let's do a coffee chat. Like we used to walk to the coffee shop. We can't do that anymore, but like let's each independently have our coffees and chat and catch up and see how you're doing. And that's actually been wonderful too because I feel more connected to both my coworkers and I've been reaching out to friends I haven't talked to in a long time and things like that. So my pro tip is schedule your day Ideally, find a way that you can block off. I like I'm sort of implicitly blocking off that early focus time by just having it be a time when nobody else wants to be awake. But I think have that focus time and then also deliberately block off some time or schedule some meetings or whatever it is that are just about building relationships, connecting with people, having that, you know, interhuman contact that we all miss so much today in COVID land. That's my pro tip. Love it. Good stuff. That, that's a legit pro tip because it's really serendipitous because this week I started adding focus time blocks on my calendar because I was like getting to the point where like I'm not getting any of my own work done because I'm putting out fires or helping other people mm-hmm. <laughs> to like remind myself it's okay to say no sometimes, you know? So yeah, it's like the life of a tech lead. It's, you know, you're just, you're just constantly in uh, a new term that I heard recently called um, push mode right? Where people are pushing things to you and you're like, yes, no, this way, that way, blah, 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 blah. Like I literally, like, I do like, like 10 code reviews a day, for example, right? That's like, that's one way of people pushing things to me. Mm-hmm. But then like, you need to do your poll work, you know? And that requires like actively clearing your mind and like pulling work. That's very different than push. And I thrive on push because, you know, I like very good at context switching, yada, da, da, da. Right. But like pull is something I can do well if I plan for it and make the mental space. And that's like my focus time has like is is working towards that goal, you know. And so like I set a 15 minute reminder for me before my focus time so that like I'm not late for my focus time. But like I and it's at the same time every day. And like I'm really trying to 
move meetings around and cancel things and ask people to reschedule if it's not an emergency. So, um, so I just need to train myself. I'm like training to like focus for two and a half hours a day. Like, let's see if I can do it. <laughs> I was just going to ask you how long that block is. Sounds like two and a half. Yeah. Two and a half at the end of the day. Cause I just need to like, you know, deal. I have the hardest time focusing at the end of the day. That's usually where I do all the push stuff. Yeah. Stuff. I'm not sure which one it is, but it's like emails and, check this and read that because I've just I lost my ability to think deeply by then. Yeah, sure. I hear yes. you. I, I totally have that. That's one of the reasons why doing this because I used to grab my focus time when I could and it would be yeah. in different times of day and like switching to the early schedule so I always get that at the beginning when I'm fresh is so good. I, 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 I got into it for childcare reasons. I think I'm going to keep it. This is a life changer in some ways. Yeah. Well, I guess like for me, it's just to, to full disclosure, I have a secret focus time, which is like morning hours, like, but I don't tell anybody about it. Right. Don't schedule like, it. I don't really. Yeah. yeah I'm not paying, I'm not responding to Slack messages before 10 AM, for example. Right. <laughs> like, you know, but, but, um, it also helps like some of my team is, uh, just like they're in the West coast. So that helps a little bit. Like, but, but mm -hmm. yeah, I, I agree. Mornings are absolutely the best. Um, I just have to be available for meetings and standups and, you know, it, that's the challenge sure. for me. Like I can't like, those are like primetime hours and I have to just be available, unfortunately, you know, but yeah, that's what Saturdays are for, right? Just kidding. Just kidding. No working on weekends. <laughs> I don't ever work on weekends <laughs> ever, ever. Well, that has been your piling on the K-Balls pro tip. Do you have your own pro tip? Yeah, my pro tips are really different, though. So I think Nick should go and then I'll go. How do you know Nick's are going to be the same? I don't know if Nick's are OK. Well, because mine are like, <laughs> okay. like they're like technical and lame. And I think K-Balls so was like, oh, yours oh, are technical, mine's also and technical and lame. OK, so fine, fine. We have I no think, good options so here. Get us started. K-Ball wins on pro tip. But all right. So I have three pro tips. One is um, for folks doing a lot of response, responsive, not even responsive, like it's 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 for folks responsibly designing web applications, right? Like I don't even want to call it responsive design anymore, but unfortunately the name of the app is responsibly. Um, there's a great uh, Chrome extension or any, like, I don't know, I actually don't have the list of browsers supported, but unfortunately I do all my development on Chrome and then I test on other browsers only because Chrome DevTools is what I'm most comfortable with. My primary browser, however, is Brave um, or Firefox Focus or Firefox. Like those are my like three that I use for everything else. But it's, it's a really great extension called Responsibly, and it lets you just very easily snap, you know, your site into all these different like, configurations and makes it really easy for you to like capture like where things look broken in what size. And for right now, like it's not even about your users having a mobile version, a tablet version and a desktop version. Like monitors are all different sizes. I use something called Spectacle to like manage my windows. You know, I have my, sometimes my browser is like one third of my window, you know, so your sites should really look good generally in multiple sizes. And it's a really great app that helps you do that. Um, and then if you're kind of struggling with like layouts and how to use Flex, there's an awesome website that gamifies how to like learn using the Flex syntax, the CSS syntax. And this is really cool little froggy game. And it's, I think it's like 30 steps or whatever. And by the time you get to the end, you kind of really understand how to lay things out in a grid using flex, which is awesome. So just like an hour of your time. Flexbox froggy is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Flexbox froggy is crazy. So we'll link that an hour of your time and you will have demystified years of like, how do I move things to the left? All right. So the third pro tip is a really good one. It's a browser extension called refined GitHub. And it's just essentially a layer on top of the GitHub UI that really just makes the experience a lot better. Everything from being able to like shut off comments when you're doing a pull request, like review, when you just want to like, I, I don't want to see anyone else's comments, right? You know, to kind of just better organization of repos and just, it's just so many nice enhancements that aren't available on regular GitHub. Um, and so, and it's open source, publicly maintained. So, you know, pretty secure. And so I'd, I'd recommend that and we'll link that in the show notes. So you can thank me for making your GitHub experiences better for free. <laughs> so mm, sounds Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, ML. You're welcome. Mine kind of ties into that a little bit. Okay, Nick, tie it in. Bring it all again. We'll have some synergies. Yeah. In the in the idea or in the the general direction of improving your GitHub time, I say just don't go to GitHub anymore. Uh, and that is with the GitHub CLI. It can do so much. 
And if you're like me, I like get lost in, and maybe the refined GitHub would help me, but I get lost in the GitHub UI where I'll just be like, oh, looking at the newsfeed or seeing different comments or, you know, jumping around, or it just like takes me a while because of, like I don't easily navigate to the projects that I want when I go back to GitHub or I have like 10 different GitHub tabs open. And so the GitHub CLI with that, you can check the status of your PRs. You can check out PRs to do like reviews or, or running them locally. You can check the CI status. So if you have any checks that are running, you can have all of those reported back to your command line and check all of them. And uh, you can create PRs from there, kind of very similar to the hub um, wrapper around Git if you've ever used that. But it lets you uh, basically script that. So I we have like a, a set way that we create PRs with like, you know, what's in the title and all of this. And so I can just have all of that created for me with a script that ends up calling the GitHub command line and then pops it over into the browser and I can finish filling it out there or drop in GIFs or anything that I want in the, the actual PR that I create. And you can also create aliases off of that. So some really cool aliases that you might be able to do is, like I said, creating PRs in a specific way or navigating to your project or giving you a list of PRs that you're set as a reviewer on every morning, and then you can just check that there and go through it without having to get lost in the UI. And it also acts as a um, authenticated client to the GitHub GraphQL API. So you can create your own calls to that and have it do whatever. And then you can alias that just like you do with Git where you create alias, aliases. That's you can cool. create GitHub aliases and just have those as repeatable commands. And you can share them because they just go into a... Uh, a gh config or i can't remember the exact name but basically a git config file yeah that's it that's honestly incredible i'm gonna totally share that with my team i i heard about the release but i never looked into it you know uh it's just information overload so thank oh, yeah. you so much for like giving it the thumbs up yeah it's really cool absolutely and we have mislav from the github cli team on go time upcoming so check the feed for that the whole cli is written in go they just recorded it last week, so it'll be coming out soon. That should be an awesome episode. Even though it's go time, I mean... Way to tee him up. I know. It hurts. It hurts to actually point people towards go time. That putrid show on the... That. <laughs> but we'll take an exception this time. Nah, those guys are fine. No, nah, just kidding. Just kidding. I'm just wondering if uh, Nick got paid under the table to bring that forward. So that <laughs> This is all organic. This is organic content right here. Uh, and I also have a tie-in to the CLI, so my pro tip is to get to know the get to know your CLI a little bit. Spend more time in Bash. It's amazing how intimidating it can be if you're not a command line junkie, but how you can just learn a few things, and that those few things can make you incredibly powerful. You don't have to master the thing all at once. I've been using the CLI for many years, and there are many things about it I have no idea how to do, and there are many things that I do all the time, and they save me tons of effort. And so this was a thought that I had after being reminded of a really cool trick uh, in the bash prompt from Allie Spittle. Remember Allie from the Front End Feud episode a couple weeks back? She's one of the ladybugs, and she put out on Twitter about brace expansion. And so I thought I'd share just a couple of quick shell tricks uh, brace expansion is a really cool trick where if you start to spell a word, you can put curly braces around any section of that word from the command line and it will expand it into multiple versions. So why would you care about this? Well, you can create a bunch of files really quickly, all with the same names by using that. So an example that she put in her tweet, which we'll link up as well, is if you use a touch command, which the touch command just creates a file, and then you say touch button, and then you give the curly brace .js, comma .css, comma .html, and then the cur close curly brace, it will create those three files. So it'll create button.js, button.css, button.html. It's a very cool trick. Super key for renaming things too. Like if you have a file you just want to rename slightly, it's so helpful. Yes, absolutely. And you can do uh, pattern matching that as well. I only use that to rename. I, I actually only only use that to rename. I've never used it in the way that you described, Jared, but yeah. I'm going to start doing that now. Absolutely. I, I use it to like rename file extensions. Like it's the, you know what I mean? <laughs> K-Ball knows what I'm talking about. Totally. So that's the cool thing about 
about these tricks inside of the shell is everything's yeah. composable. So brace expansion is just a feature, and you can apply that feature in all these different contexts, like creating files, renaming files, finding files. And so maybe you didn't know you can use it that way. That's another way you can use it. Uh, another quick pro tip on the command line is the bang operator, the exclamation mark. So if you want to go back through your history and you don't want to hit the up arrow like 75 times, but you know that like you did that git command recently, you can do exclamation mark, the bang, and then you can start to type the command, git space, and then maybe you remembered it was a git add. So you start to put add, and then you hit enter. You don't have to do the whole thing. It just You have to match just the beginning. It will re-execute the last time you started a command with git add. Now, sometimes that can be scary because you're like, well, did I do it the last time or was it three times back? I can't remember. So there's a way that you can get around that by appending colon P at the end. So if you do bang and then your command you're trying to find, colon P, it will bring that command up and show it to you, but it won't actually execute it. So then you can look at it and be like, yep, that's the one I wanted. Just a great way to quickly pull up a history thing without having to go dig through the bash history. Yeah, I think it's called like recursive search. Is that what it's called? I just always Isn't, called it bang. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, nobody I, told yeah, me how to just, call it. So yeah, that sounds right. Well, no, I, I think, I, you know what? I think the recursive search actually, it's all muscle memory for me. Right. Uh, it, yeah. It's like it involves R, so maybe not. But mm. but yeah, bang might just be the last one. Can I piggyback a small one? Yeah, I got one more, that? but That's, pictures in. Oh, oh you got one out. more. I got one more. Okay. Okay. Mine is just like, you know how when you're switching branches, it's like super annoying to like keep typing out the branch name, especially if you don't have bash autocompletion. Yes. Uh, so if you do git checkout space dash, it'll just take you to the last branch. And you just keep doing that. You can switch back and forth between branches. So you know, git checkout dash, it'll take you to the branch you last checked out. Git checkout dash. We'll take you to the right. Yeah, it'll toggle cool. back and forth. In fact, CD yeah, works the same toggling. way. Yeah, that's cool. So CD space dash or hyphen will go back to the last directory you're in, and then CD days so it's the same thing. It'll toggle back and change directories. So again, multiple applications of that dash is awesome. Do y'all use pushd and popd? No, but please uh, tell us about I it. I, I don't use pushd and popd. Uh, it's fine. Is that it where you have like you... a list of currently of like often used? It, it lets you maintain a stack of directories. So like I want to go into this, I push D in, and then when I'm done doing whatever I'm doing there, I pop D and I'm back to wherever I was before. And you can mm. you can do a nested stack however deep you want. We could have a whole episode on command line pro tips. This is getting yeah. good. Also tree, tree, download tree, yes. brew install tree. Tree is like one of the first things I do when I like set up my dev machine, which by the way, right. like people are starting to set up their own repos for like, dev box configs here it's like it's like going beyond dot files now it's like here's all the scripts i need every time i set up a new machine and that's really smart to do that this is the kind um, of stuff but nick yeah, just freaks out nick is, about nick is nick is like ah! okay <laughs> he's like i have so jared, many jared things to like, say jared is like we need to go yeah, yeah. i use all of nick's dot files and i keep getting confused because he's got so much in there i'm like wait where did that come from what's that thing this i, I have to say one more thing that that kind of ties into that and goes back to to get a little bit or GitHub a little bit. And that's one other pro tip is with GitHub code spaces coming out, if you have a dot files repo on your GitHub, when you create a new code space, it will look and see if you have a dot files repo and it will set up your environment with that dot files repo. And in my case, I have an installed.sh file in there. It will mm -hmm. run that to set up my environment. Wow. That's amazing. So cool. Yeah, I actually I got that demo live from Scott Hanselman which is crazy, like months ago, and it like blew my mind. And like, thank you for reminding me that that exists. Um, I tend to like be very skeptical of like big tech cloud software. I like waiting a year or two before getting on that bandwagon because there's just a lot of, for sure. this is going to change the world. <laughs> right. And then it's dead, you right. know? We're so done. we'll have to see how widely Codespaces gets adopted before we can get excited about it. But with um, that getting automatically set up, it's really easy for me to then pop into my code space, open the terminal full screen and just use Vim. So it's. Boom. Yeah, no, no. I'm game changer for productivity. <laughs> game changer. You can also just use Vim on your computer, you know, it's right yeah, there. Now okay. I can do it on my yeah, yeah, but Let me show yeah, my no, last pro tip. Dang it. I got one more. <laughs> okay. Sorry, Jared. Come on. This is it. a good one. All right. Back ticks. Back ticks. Okay. Uh, command substitution. So if you type a command like which git, you guys know what that command will do? Which git? 
it will show you the full path to the git binary that you're going to execute when you type git. Because Linux has paths, and when your execution path picks up the first one, you might want to know which git I'm actually going to run, so which git. Now, if you if you wrap that in backticks, it'll actually return that value to the previous command. So backticks is like the up with the tilde operator up there on your upper left hand side of the keyboard. Backticks, which git. So if you have like a script in your path somewhere, as many of us do, and you want to edit that script, and you're not even sure where it is, all you have to do is type vim, because that's what we all do with editing is vim, and then space, backtick, which, and the script name, backtick, and it will actually open it up in vim. So it will return the path and pass it back to vim. Vim's expecting a file path, and it will open it. That's just one use case. There's tons of different ways that you can take those backticks and send the output of that command into other commands. Really cool. Can I jump in briefly on that? Please do. <laughs> Please do. Generally, so dollar paren will do the same thing, but it's much easier to nest things. So you can't really nest things with backticks, but if you do use dollar paren instead, then you can actually nest multiple dollar parens down inside and you can do multiple multi-layered substitutions. Oh, that is getting very fancy. Yeah, you're getting very fancy. I was trying to keep it simple over here, guys. I was trying to make it approachable, but... K-I-S-S, everybody. Mm. Go ahead, Nick. Go another level of depth on us. <laughs> I was just going to yeah, rain on it a Stack little. Stack overflow. <laughs> if you're using Shellcheck, which is like a linter for shell scripts, it will actually tell you not to use backticks and instead use the, the dollar sign open parenthesis, close parenthesis. I'm just talking about like doing stuff from your command line here. I'm not talking about writing shell scripts with a linter. Come on. <laughs> all right, everyone, I'm going to do us all a favor and rein in this show. And I'm going to I'm going to relate this all back to jQuery. OK, how are you going to do it? Let's do it. I'm going to do it. All right. So Unix is amazing because it's like the original jQuery, if you think about it, in terms of API design, right? All this chainable passing things into each other, right? Um, like the fact that you can like parse a bunch of files, do a grep, take the results, use XARGs, pass it into something else, pipe it into a script, right? Like it's just the original, I don't know. I feel like chaining like they invented like programming chaining in a way that like, I think just like set the bar for like, I would say productivity and process improvement, and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and yet like having some semblance of control flow. So I don't know. So kudos to Unix for, I think maybe being the original like grandfather of computing and com <laughs> like good computing patterns, I would say, Got you it. know? Yeah. I will agree with that. And I think jQuery is the princess, princess of the web. Always princess. <laughs> forever princess. Forever. You're forever our princess, jQuery, and we will forever appreciate you. All right. That's our time. That's our show. Thanks so much for partying with us next week. You know what's coming back by popular demand. Front End Feud is back. We have a brand new cast of characters and some returns as well. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. We would love to know if you enjoyed the hot new tech segment. Please comment on the episode on changelog.com, tweet at JSPartyFM, or hop on our Slack and let us know if you'd like to hear more reviews from Judith and Rashali. Thanks again to Tarpon Jargon for teeing up this honest conversation about jQuery. You can request episodes like Tarpon Jargon did at changelog.com slash request. Select JSParty in the dropdown and let us know what topics or guests that we should feature next. Our music is produced by Breakmaster Cylinder, and we are brought to you by awesome sponsors. Thanks to Fastly, Linode, and Rollbar for your continued support. That's all for now. The Feud returns next week. Array reduces the best.